0: This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Before we begin today, I'd like to let you know that our guest, Diana Walsh Pasilka, will be with us in the subscriber video room on December the 9th at 10 a.m. Pacific. That's December the 9th at 10 a.m. Pacific. A not-to-be-missed chance to ask questions of this remarkable, scholar of the UFO phenomenon where is the unknown country is it out there in the stars or is it also somewhere else is it in us in you unknown country join us today Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. UnknownCountry.com There's no place like it in the world. Today, we have a remarkable guest with us. Many of you know her uh, by name, Diana Walsh Basilka, the uh, author of American Cosmic, one of the has become one of the seminal books in the whole journey of UFO work toward a higher level, Uh, and a remarkable book that revolutionized much of the way we think about this. She has a new book out called Encounters, Experiences with Non-Human Intelligences. And it is equally groundbreaking and important. And I'm very glad to have Diana with us today on Dreamland. This is, I think, your second or third appearance. And Diana and I are close friends. I want to make that clear. And uh, the book is just remarkable. Uh, Diana, let me give you a little bit of her background. She's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina in Wilmington. She's written American Cosmic and another wonderful book called Heaven Can Wait, the most delightful and fascinating book about the Catholic concept of purgatory ever written. Um, I've read it twice, in fact, just for the (laughs) sheer pleasure of doing so. And indeed, American Cosmic has become very much a part of my life. Uh, she is a researches primarily Catholic history, and uh, all the way from earliest times to modern day reports of UAPs. and uh, the intimate connection between what we see and this worldview was something that we'll be discussed extensive discussing extensively here let me tell you this is something here's something jacques valet said about uh encounters which i think is the is a very uh, trenchant comment diana brings to the incomplete study of unidentified phenomena the missing parts that make it tick a subtle caring way to transcend the rough political and military turmoil that has long disfigured the research and a formal framework for a spiritual reinterpretation of what the witnesses say. Her book is a staircase to the next level. And I congratulate you, Diana, on this, because it is quite true. Now, let's talk about the disfigurement of the research first. Uh, And we'll, we'll go back into what, essentially happened and still happens with the difficulties that the defense department has in determining what we're dealing with. Is this something that flows accurately and truthfully out of our own mythology and is divided into clear good and evil? Or is it something else? How do you respond to that?
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Whitley, first for having me on your show. I love your show. My and, pleasure. Um, and all, all of your work. And thank you so much um, for being my friend through this amazing journey that I never believed I would be on. Um, thank <laughs> you. So, <laughs> um, and you do need good friends on this journey. Uh, there is no doubt about it.
0: Oh, yes. I know that too from personal yeah. experience.
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question you ask about the disfigurement of the research. And I would say that people, first, people in my field um, do religious studies. I know you've had Jeff Kripalu on as a guest before, and you're oh, yeah. well aware of what we do. But I'd like to remind your listeners that in the the discipline of religious studies, we look at religious traditions through academic Frameworks, and we don 't bring belief into it generally right um, i I will say though that that the study of this topic has completely changed my beliefs, so whereas my beliefs didn 't impact my methods for studying either religion or UFOs which you know I, I consider them very similar, if not the same thing, um, certainly, the study of UFOs completely impacted my religion okay so um, so that has happened. Um, but with respect to the disfigurement of the research that Jacques refers to, I think that a lot of times people in my field, um, I would say, especially, uh, someone who did the research that i did say you mentioned my book on purgatory well a lot of that was excavational research basically i had to do excavation because of what happens in the field of religion which is called redaction and your your listeners and viewers would know what redaction is because they're used to that term within the field of ufology Um, redaction is when an institution takes information and either deletes it or changes it. um, What Jacques would say disfigures it. Um, Within the field of um, Catholic studies, we do get this with respect to the doctrine of purgatory. So when I did this research for purgatory, which preceded my entrance into studying UFOs, what I had to do basically was I had to go back and figure out from 1200 on up what, you know, what, european catholics were doing and a lot of time this brought me to ireland um and when i got to ireland what i recognized was that a lot of the sources that had been ever written about purgatory were completely um gone they were completely um and this was the effect of english colonization on irish culture so the english colonized irish culture and what happened was that that they erased a lot of Irish history. Um, so I had to use the methods of my field in order to re, you know, to kind of get back that history. So, how do you get back history that's either erased or classified, right? How do you get back that that history? Um, my, I don't have any interest in, in doing this with classified information today, no, right? We're both but, very
0: familiar with the dangers <laughs> of fooling around with classified information. Let's not even go there.
1: That 's right, but in the field of ufology from the 1940 s up to the 1960s you know a lot of things have been declassified, and a lot of the uh, historians that, that are associated with the space program completely understand that the the history of our space program actually it can't be transparent at the moment because a lot of the programs are still classified, so I brought a lot of the research skills that I had to reconstruct. Irish ideas of the afterlife and purgatory, and basically Irish history um, from you know colonial erasure, basically the erasing of this history. And a lot of it had to do with very simple things, um, being around people, Irish people, uh, because those stories get passed down. Uh, my own father comes from an Irish tradition. I listened to my grandparents as a child, and I remembered a lot of things, um, and also songs songs get passed down folklore folklore is another great you know resource which Jacques Vallée figured out too when he wrote Passport to Magonia you know he did an excavation of what he calls the phenomena through looking at the folklore of different traditions so these are the methods that I was able to bring to um, basically you know kind of put together this history of what I was learning about
0: well, and you extend that in encounters even more than in American Cosmic, I think, because American Cosmic is basically a uh, an appalled journey into a world you didn't previously know existed.
1: <laughs> yes. I remember when
0: you <laughs> sent me the manuscript, I thought to myself... She's going to get in a lot of trouble for
1: this. (laughs) I think an appalled journey is a really good way to put it. That's the best description yet. I was fairly appalled.
0: (laughs) Right. And here is this enormous thing kind of hiding in plain sight. And then, but when you look at it, it looked like it was in plain sight. But now it turns out it's a mirage. And you you look a little closer and it goes a little farther (laughs) away. And then all of a sudden someone taps you on the shoulder and you look, turn around and it's not a human being that that's sort of what it's like to be dealing with, with this thing. But I want to, I think, you know, I I don't often talk about my own experiences on the show because this is about your work, but one happened a, a week and a half ago that I think has to do with this program, with this interview. And I'm not going to ask you to deconstruct it in any way. I'm just going to kind of leave it here. And then we're going to go on into this journey into the realms of good and evil and beyond into the realms of the relationship with the alien. Uh, This was, I think, an out-of-body experience. It was very physical, though but I can't believe I was where I was physically. Uh, I found myself face-to-face with a woman in a terrible situation. And uh, she was obviously in hell. There's no other way to describe it. There was not, no fire. It was much worse than that. And I'm not going to go into what it, it, it the appearance of it, except I can assure you that if this exists... You definitely need to take steps in this life. All of us, I'm talking to all of us, to not go there. (laughs) So be careful. Um, So she was looking at me and with a desperate expression on her face. And it was very vivid. It was like being physically there, more vivid than a lucid dream could ever be. And uh, the desperation was a, a a a fear of that she would be i would be revolted by her and she she obviously did not want that so i said the only thing i could think of in the face of this agony that i could see in her i said i love you and i tried to feel it in myself and then i realized i thought oh my god she's going to want me to hug her and she opened her arms, and I could see her fingernails were filthy and caked. It was just awful, an awful experience. But I went into her arms, and I held her to me. And it ended. It's a descent into a place that you discuss very extensively, but very subtly in Encounters. And I want to now go, we're going to return to the brilliant genius, Aya Whittley, whom we both know and love, yes. in a little while, because she starts the book. But I want to go to the gray man now and his experience with St. Michael and uh, the dark force that that appeared there oh wait a minute uh unfortunately for our non-paying listeners i have remembered the break for once so we're going to take the break now the first break (laughs) and afterwards diana gets a chance to collect her thoughts and afterwards we'll go into this extraordinary experience that she's going to describe of and who the gray man was and is. Who are they? Why are they here? What do they want with us? Why is it all so secret? All of these questions are explored in my new book, Them, in an entirely new way. What do Close Encounter Reports tell us about what the visitors want with us? What is the military's experience? And can our memories be trusted? Can anything be trusted? Them answers all of these questions in a totally new way. It's available in hardcover, softcover, as a Kindle, and as an audiobook. Read by me. Get them today. And what an incredible Christmas gift them and you can get it from the unknowncountry.com store signed by me we're talking to Diana pasulka dr Diana Walsh pasulka I think of her of course is Diana and uh, about her book encounters experiences with non-human intelligences and is there any place on the internet that people can engage with you Diana a website or uh, sure. a have- yeah, yeah tell
1: us. So I have 3 places where I am on the internet and I must warn the viewers that there are some sites that are not mine but are pretending to be me and they'll try to sell you bitcoin. <laughs> so um so I have com. that's my website and I also have an Instagram account at dwpasulka and a Twitter account at dwpasulka.
0: Okay. Now, give us an idea of who the gray man is and why you can't say his name. right,
1: so when I um use pseudonyms uh pseudonyms, excuse me uh it's because the people who I feature in the book, say it, it was American Cosmic or uh, this book um requested this, and they request this because they generally have a job where they need to be. Uh, functionally anonymous. Um, all right. So that said, he he has the pseudonym of Gray Man because his per, it actually fits his personality. Um, he doesn't actually enjoy any type of attention. <laughs> and what's interesting about Gray Man is that, and why I chose to feature him is because each person that I feature in the book, the book is a deep dive into real sightings that people have. So I talk a little bit about the actual sightings that we have evidence for, say, on objective instruments like radar or something. But then what I do is I interview witnesses about those. So I interview, you know, because it's not just when a UFO event happens, it's not just this thing on radar that we have. We also have the testimonies of the people who were involved in the experiences, and so I I do a deep dive into the experiences that these people have, and Gray Man's experience is um, exemplifies so many other people that I thought that his would be best to use. It also, by the way, you met Dr. Carrie Mullis, I believe.
0: Um, oh, I knew Carrie, Yes. Uh, yeah, Kerry, yeah, okay. sorry, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. So, in um, fact,
0: we believe we were the conference you mentioned in the book. That you were where you met Carrie. I was there too.
1: That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so so Dr. Carrie Mullis, as you know, is a Nobelist. He's a Nobel Prize in Chemistry, as a Nobel Prize, and he's an amazing scientist. Um, Grayman is also a scientist, and Grayman re- reminded me a lot, especially of the experiences and the way he described the experiences and his own response to them that Kerry uh, Mullis described when we were at this conference, and so. So well, not w- before only before we
0: go on, we need mm-hmm. to tell a, the our listeners what Kerry Mullis described. I can do it, or you can do it. it, it so
1: <laughs> okay,
0: I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell what okay. you said. It's so fun. Kerry yeah. has a place had a place in Northern California. He's not with us anymore, uh, and uh, he was walking out on a trail one evening. And he encountered a raccoon with glowing green eyes uh, who looked up at him or, and said, good evening, Dr. Mull- Mullis. And, of course, we all knew immediately when he, he described this and also the fact that another, another member of his family went missing for a significant period of time that evening uh, and into the next day, in fact that he had had an encounter with our little friends, the Greys. So that's his story. But now let's go on.
1: And he, to- and he had a pretty negative response to it also. So he was afraid and Carrie Mullis does not seem like a person who could scare easily. And he took a weapon that he had on his uh, property and he went where he had seen this, what he described as an electric raccoon, <laughs> and he just, he pummeled it, right, with, with, the, with the weapon. He just shot as many bullets as he could right. um, to, you know, to get rid of whatever it was. Well, uh, this is somewhat the response that Gray Man has to experiences that are very similar. Um, is, in addition, though, Gray Man also has experiences of what he called, he decided was an angel, that um that had a sword now what's interesting is that he is not he didn't grow up catholic he didn't grow up he actually grew up fairly secular uh without the iconography of the catholic church so he didn't actually know who saint michael the archangel was even though when he described this to me he described it as he said it wasn't a dream that he had a vision and in the vision he was engaged in what appears to be fighting demons (laughs) and you know he's a scientist and he just was telling me this this is as we were becoming um colleagues and i said that does sound like saint michael the archangel and i actually thought that he was aware of that but i didn't learn until later that he actually wasn't even aware of what saint michael was or who and in fact later on in the chapter about him he sees a video of saint michael the archangel and recognizes what i was trying to tell him and that he actually saw this this being and um it of course it was already a weird event for him because he thought it was real but then it became a lot weirder for him um and he also has had experiences with what we would call the grays and he had the similar response that Carrie Moles had he wants to um fight back he wants to protect himself and so um so that's the gray man the gray man has these experiences and what i found was that when people would tell me their ufo experiences which has happened a lot now since i wrote american cosmic um they would not only tell me about the actual objective experience of seeing the ufo or you know of it in the vicinity they would also tell me a lot of events that were you know like what you would call either uh people would call them religious events. They would either see things that they thought were angels or see things that they thought were demons. They would have paranormal um, kinds of poltergeist things around them and uh, life would be pretty weird for them. And so I wanted to convey this too, because I think that a lot, well, you know, for a fact that, you know, there are a lot of people within the field that do this study that would prefer not to look at this, Uh, But as a person who's trained to study religions, I'm going to see it right away. So this is uh, this is the gray man in the book. This is his experience.
0: Now, he he came to you in part. He's not. He's involved on the inside in this whole affair, as I recall. In other words,
1: yeah, he's a um, he has a similar position. He's a material scientist.
0: Right. And so therefore, and I'm reminded, I was reminded, when I was reading of something I once said to you, when you look at the materials, they're looking back at you.
2: That's and right.
0: That is very true because they, you know, you hold something in your hand and you think it's as well, it's an unusual piece of metal. It sure is. And it's more unusual <laughs> than you <would> think. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, so, he, How did he come into your life?
1: Okay, so um, directly, in fact, it was before American Cosmic was published. It was, I believe, in press. Um, there were many scientists very much like those in American Cosmic, like Gary, who's now out as Gary Nolan,
2: yeah. um,
1: and it was James in my book, um, who coalesced, I guess you could say, reached out to me, and um, and they were all involved in the study. Um, now that a lot of the hearings are happening in Congress around this topic, when I look back at what I was doing, I was actually stumbled, of course, upon a crash retrieval situation. And um, uh, unwittingly, frankly. And all of the people who were involved in those kinds of endeavors, knew who I was. And part of the reason why Whitley, they were interested in me, because a lot of people are like, well, you're not a scientist, why would they be interested in your research? Well, what I figured out was that they were interested precisely for the reasons that I wrote encounters. Because apparently, when you do interface with the things that appear to be nuts and bolts, um, it it's weirder than we think. And a lot of religious type spiritual events Yes. Happened to people so this is what they mm-hmm. were interested in and i and here i had a direct line to looking at these events in history and the historical record through the vatican and whatnot so i attracted a lot so he was one of the people that approached me about doing research that would then go back to a specific um i wouldn't call it a government agency right <laughs> specific programs that study these things and by yeah. the way i did i just did not know this at the time
0: right i understand uh, so it, let's get back to what he experienced he suddenly finds himself face to face with an entity which you later identify as the archangel michael yes. uh, there is then a battle he is given a sword Mm-hmm. and he must do battle with a dark evil entity on mm-hmm. apparently on in concert with or on behalf of the manifestation of good the archangel what's what's going on there and 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 what's so interesting is that this all is happening in the context of a life that is becoming engaged with the re- research into the materials
1: Yes. So I would say that this, he appears to have been an experiencer from uh, a young man, but he just didn't recognize it.
0: He had UFO experiences. Yes. He
1: sure did. um, Identifiable ones that are really well known and well studied in um, Australia. Yes, And so, um, so these, these, you know, So what I'm doing here is I can't exactly explain it all to, you know, of course I can't, it's a little bit like American cosmic where I go into it. And then years later, I'm like, okay, you know, we have a lot more data to explain what that, what happened to me then. So with encounters, it's a little bit the same in that I had this incredible amount of data about religious spiritual experiences that people were having, um, along with their UFO uh, research or their UFO sightings, and so Grayman was, like I said, the, one of the best examples of this situation. And so, what is he? What's going on here? So, um, I think that he, well, first off, while he was a, a young man, although his family is not religious, he actually converted to Christianity. So he became very religious. And when he had this experience of St. Michael, what look, we'll just call St. Michael, it fits, <laughs> right? Um, he is engaged in learning how to deal with what we would call evil. These things that are coming at him appear to be m- malign, right, uh, bad things. And he's being taught to dispatch them, basically, And so um, and it's at this point where, you know, he he's working in the capacity of doing the research that, say, Gary and, you know, Tyler are engaged in. Um, That he's recognizing on many levels that it's uh, it's a very it's a much stranger. He had the intuition that it had to do with um, spiritual types of basically spiritual warfare is what he, how he, the terms that he used. And another person in the book, Jose uses the same term for it, spiritual warfare. So a lot of the, a lot of the people believe that they're engaged in some type of spiritual warfare and that, and he absolutely believes that.
0: Well, that is, that has been true uh, since uh, the beginning uh, when, um, uh the the uh uh, when air material started in 1947 it was at the same time uh general twining who was the first commanding officer at air material had developed a friendship with of all people padre pio when he was uh, commanding the 15th air force in italy during world war ii and converted to catholicism and became very religious uh, and su- subsequently, I don't think there's been a single officer in command at Air material who has not been uh, uh, in one way or another, not necessarily Catholic, but a committed person, a, a religiously committed person. And it-, it makes me wonder because I thought to myself as I was reading, about Tyler D, I mean, I'm sorry, about uh, the Gray Man and the Archangel Michael. What if this was the first century AD? It would be a different God. He would have had a different, probably, I would think, the closest I could come just off the top of my head was Apollo, that it would be Apollo.
1: Yes, there is actually, um, I think, uh, I used to know the name of that God, who was had a sword and looked and was shiny and looked exactly like what we now call St. Michael, the archangel. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember, but, and Apollo actually, this is even pre-Apollo, believe it or not. So, it's yes, a very old. It's yeah. mm-hmm.
0: very old. And, um, the, but what are we dealing with when we deal with these manifestations? Because I, I I have a feeling, what is happening is within us in some way, in and maybe outside of us too. I wouldn't deny that, but that that w- what he was doing was making a decision as to the direction he wanted to go in, and he wanted to go in the direction of defending us and himself in some way against something that seems dangerous and aggressive. And yet when I was in that situation with that woman who had obviously found herself in the dark side, I felt such compassion for her and such a desire. I begged God afterwards to draw them out and to end hell, to draw them all out. And I didn't care why she was there. I couldn't care less. Just that she was suffering. So what is evil then? We'll go a little deeper uh, after the break. We'll be right back. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him On the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia, here you are in South Sulawesi, in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were what happened? You were told something rather strange.
2: Well, we were told before we went, um, like my my friends that I worked with with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident. I went out to buy a raincoat, it rains quite a bit in this part of the world, and so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat, and my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla, and I said, well, why not, and he says, well, it's th- you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me, so I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green especially no yellow, and, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear.
0: You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the UnknownCountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on unknowncountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and get started. My new book, Jesus, A New Vision, is not a Christian book. It is not an anti-Christian book either, very much not an anti-Christian book. It is new, genuinely new. A look at Jesus in his life and what happened afterwards, his resurrection. For the Shroud of Turin is no medieval forgery. It goes all the way back and it does record an extraordinary event that appears to have been a body transforming into a form of coherent light. The science is very strong at this point. And yet, how could that be? What an extraordinary mystery. The life of Jesus is mysterious indeed. But the greater part of the mystery is about us. How is it that a human body could transform in that way? Who accomplished it? Why did it happen? What does it mean to you and me about our lives now? Jesus, a new vision, a new window into a very old way of looking at the truth a way of finding ourselves perhaps that we lost a long time ago but can recover jesus a new vision is available in kindle format as a paperback in audiobook format on audible and apple and as a kindle and paperback on Amazon do go and get it today we're talking to dr. Diana Walsh pasulka about her new book encounters experiences with non-human intelligences you can engage with her at dwpasulka.com or uh, at uh, DW Diana what, what's the Instagram address again
1: I always said DW pasulka.
0: okay all right. So either way, you can and also I'm I meant to mention this earlier. Diana gives courses, and they are incredibly cool. I've taken one or two of them. And I have to tell you, you can go on her website and find out more. Do not miss these courses. You will never have an experience like going in a course with Diana. It's a remarkable. I mean, you can see what we're going into today what a remarkable human being she is and a a marvelous teacher as well so Yeah, yeah yeah so um uh that um that do engage with her if you can and now let's go on about this whole issue of good and evil because i know from my own experience with people in the in this field who are working on the inside that it's very much divided between good and evil. They believe that they are dealing with an evil presence in these entities that we think of as the greys. Uh, and they act accordingly. Now you have, I think a much more subtle and nuanced approach and perhaps it's that approach that needs to, to bleed into the world of uh of the people who are in in many cases dealing with this quite directly so what do you think of it
1: well really i have to admit that i have um my my perception of what we're dealing with has changed a lot and whereas when i first started the study of this in 2013 I was basically studying what I and still believe is a rising new form of religion, right? A new form of, of religion.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: we, we do have religions about UFOs, but this would be a, like a decentralized form of religion. Um, and once I begin to understand that there was a, there, there, <laughs> right. There was something actually real going on here. Um, I became quite, perplexed. And um, then I met a lot more people who were involved in the study of it. So, and now that I have had a lot of engagement, I could, you know, I would say with people who do this, this study, I definitely see why there is such a polarized environment between people who think it's good on some level and people who think we should not deal with this at all. We should not touch this. This is pure evil, okay? And there's very rarely people that are in between Um, or you know, a little bit of each or whatnot. Um, I think it's safe to say that if you look at the historical records and you also look at say the work of say Gary Nolan, um, you're going to see that, and even within the kinds of of feedback we get, Whitley, when we get people sending us letters, And information about their own experiences. You know, I've had people tell me that they had experiences as children. Now, these people might be in their 60s or 70s, and they write to me and say, and I started, I stopped looking into it when I recognized that pilots were being killed through their interfaces with it. And, you know, I mean, these are people that are saying things that we need to pay attention to. And I know that people in my field would rather look the other way with respect to that and would rather say, you know this is all subjective experiences but i think part of what we're saying, seeing right now um is a recognition that that it is um a force that isn't necessarily you know not that, as gary nolan says it sometimes maybe it's collateral damage what people experience with their interface with it um that means that it's not intentionally done but the effect of it could be bad you know, it could, you know, with um, burns and things like that. Uh, John Mack, of course, at the end of, you know, whereas he was moving in the direction that this would be like a shamanic experience, um, an experience in which we go through trials and tribulations, but we transform and become better people. Um, he was looking at it from that perspective. Um, I'm of the opinion these days that, um, well, it's made me more, more religious. <laughs> I was already fairly religious, but this has definitely uh, tipped me over the edge.
0: Yeah, I think it. I think I can see that very clearly. I, in in my own life, uh, I'm, I try to be as objective about it as possible because I have, as you know, uh, experienced the very worst of it. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't get experiences worse than than Anne and I have had, and I'm not going to go into them now uh, because everyone i'm just referring of course to the taking of sexual material from me and the removal of a of a fetus from Anne, which both happened and uh, i think this removal of the fetus happened where it's not cl- as clear as the first thing but these are these are uh, the sort of things that are done we do all the time to animals and we don't do them because we're evil. We do them for basically for scientific reasons, or in the case of many animals, we simply harvest them for their flesh routinely. And we're not, we don't consider ourselves evil for doing this. But I, if the cattle could ever figure out why they're being fed, they might think of us as being incredibly sinister and evil. Uh, and, uh, uh when Charles Ford referred to this as a barnyard, he was, he was thinking about something that wasn't evil, but so much as needy. And I think that we're dealing perhaps with something that is, that needs us, which would explain why. They're so interested in things like we had Dr. Michael Sala on the show recently. So, so things like not us uh, not having nuclear war and not having environmental catastrophes. It's not because they're nice guys. It's because we're food. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you sitting <laughs> on that cliff edge and see what happens. <laughs>
1: It reminds me of your, your one of your first books and it was this your first book that you wrote called The Wolfen.
0: Yeah, The Wolfen, yeah.
1: Yeah, The Wolfen.
0: We're food. Yeah, well that's a theme in yeah. my a lot of my early books. It's a theme in the next one The Hunger. Because these are coming from deep within me because remember I was, you know, I when I was a kid, I was taken out to the country house by my father at the age of 11 and just sent into the back pasture when this thing would land there. I wasn't, no one went with me. I had to go by myself. And uh, so, you know, I'm familiar with this thing and it's very provocative. And are we dealing with evil or are we dealing with hunger?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. That's, um, I mean, let's, this is, I'd be pragmatic about it. It doesn't matter. You know, if if in fact something is aggressive to us, we should protect ourselves. Whether they're hungry or whether they're evil, and by the way, we are evil. I mean, when we when you say that, you know, the way we treat animals and such, I agree with you. That's that's hunger. That's not evil. But I mean, we do have human trafficking, and that is absolutely evil. It's so absolutely human- evil. Yes. So human beings, you know, are evil. We do evil things. Not all of us. Most of us are not evil, but we certainly have enough people to ruin the party for a lot of others of us. And I think that, you know, so evil does exist.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in uh, a new world, I, I, I go into some cases that occurred in Brooklyn some years ago now, and they may still occur. I don't know. Of people who were uh, who were killed by these entities, and mm-hmm. I tell exactly why they were killed and what was done uh, precisely. Uh, and and uh, the, 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 this is was leaked by an, a coroner who was working with the FBI. And so, and these people were being harvested; their souls were being harvested. Now that can't be good i'm not in no that
1: sounds terrible yeah yeah it sounds i think that so when a lot of people ask about and i do get asked about this about the people who are preventing ufo research because they're hardcore christians or you know they believe that these are demonic um well you know their experiences have shown them that you know perhaps these are not demonic perhaps these are just we don't want them to do the things that they're doing so you know so think of the reasons why people would have you know this type of belief system and it would be because of and you by the way you're not the first person to tell me that you know there's a lot of i've met now a lot of people who are forensic detectives and work with coroners you know to to like as first responders to do this kind of thing and it's uh it's a fairly grim you know it it's a fairly grim picture
0: it is a very grim picture indeed and folks i'm going to just uh, say just briefly to assage your curiosity or to inform you a lot of you probably haven't read a new world and uh you're going to read encounters though i'm i'm coming to your house and telling and bringing a book to you. <laughs> In any case, uh, and charging for my my uh, car fare as well. So in any case, what happened in this case was uh, they found that she was aware of 17 cases of all homeless people who had been uh, mutilated and then drowned and then taken back, the dead bodies taken back and put approximately where they had originally been found the living people had been found it was always homeless people and people with no no known associations of any kind but some i in in analyzing the report i could see that there was a specific thing that was being done that the spine was being opened up right back here in a certain place which when i've been taken out of my body by the visitors the ones I think are of as, 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 as on our side, they will touch that area with a little electri- electrical charge and it, you can feel it open up something down your spine. And then your second body comes right out. Your soul comes right out of your body and then you can engage in whatever, in my case, task they want me to do. And you know about one of those tasks it involved Tyler D. Um, and. Uh, uh, but these souls were taken, and I think that I I'm I'm afraid I can't even theorize about why they want them, but they did want them, and they left these bodies behind. And he, here's the thing: if they drowned them, why not just leave the bodies underwater? Why did they take them back? And it gets me to this point: is this? are we dealing something with something that's entirely sane at any level, even on the most objective level, even in, in its own lights, because that's not a sane process. It's not a sane way of doing it.
1: Yeah. that sounds like terror. I mean, it sounds yeah. like a, t- a terror tra- tactic for sure.
0: Right. Exactly. Of course it was a terror tactic. And if, where are we going diana because i when i read your book i thought to myself this is an, this is a book about a, a deep profound attempt to engage with something that we maybe shouldn't even touch maybe shouldn't even touch
1: uh, yeah i think
0: we're not going to so. we're not going <laughs> to leave it behind i mean it's already out the a redditor uh published a thing about there being bodies that that have been studied and so forth so i mean that's all out there uh we're engaged with this
1: and- well i really i do also in the book what i do propose is that um we've been engaged with it And that, you know, there are, so, you know, I begin the book with a quote by Suzanne Kite, who's Lakota. And she basically says, believe it or not, you know, it's, it's been here the whole time. You know, it's always been here. Right. There's no disclosure that needs to happen for lots of different types of communities. And so what I'm suggesting, I'm not necessarily suggesting that, but I'm proposing through interviewing people who talk about it, that, one that we lose a lot when we get rid of, a, we throw the baby out with the bathwater with religion. Okay. Because many of the world's traditions, either the religious traditions or many indigenous cultures, have built in ways and infrastructure for dealing with these kinds of experiences. And so, gray man goes right to the infrastructure of his religion in order to deal with that. And so does Jose in, in the chapters that focus on, on him. And so, so right here, you know, what we're, you know, we are just trying to deal with it within a scientific framework, but our science is sorely lacking. You know, we don't have the ability to deal with, with really what it is, which is why a lot of the scientists then showed up in my sphere and asked me questions about it, as, sh- as shocking as it was to me at the time, now this is my response. Well, if you really wanna know, this is how people have always dealt with it. So we don't need to, Whitley, really, I don't think we need to like reinvent the wheel. I think we already have at our disposal those kinds of things that, that can help, but we just have to practice them. And I when think they, that's where we when you say
0: practice them. What, what, what do you mean?
1: All of us have traditions that our families, our ancestors had been engaged in, you know, the religious traditions, I call them the protocols. And if we practice those, I mean, you do those protocols of your sensing protocols and, you know, those kinds of things. So in a sense, you, you, to me, I could be entirely wrong in been reading you incorrectly, but, you, you're you utilizing a, a protocol or a series of protocols that help you deal with this on a daily basis. And Absolutely. you've taught them, yeah, you've created a community in order to help people deal with it. Um, you've dealt, so you're doing exactly what I think people of back in the day, you know, of old time, right? Would would they develop these protocols and these abilities to deal with these things? and i think that my community
0: would be the new gnostics essentially
1: yes yes exactly and i do talk about gnosticism the lost art of gnosticism
0: in in fact uh let's 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 unpack that a little bit now that we've come here and i had this interview all planned and it's, it's gone completely down other other roads which is always great so uh tell us a little bit about your vision of understanding of what Gnosticism is and where we are with it now. It's very interesting material in the book.
1: So a lot of the people who have been able to uh, navigate the UFO landscape, which you and I know is treacherous. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Would be people like Alan Hynek and Jacques Vallée and you, of course, but, but what does was Jacques, what does he do well he doesn't actually do it overtly by talking about it he does it by practicing it so i i describe a visit to his apartment in um san francisco and i describe his shelves of books about angels and books about fallen angels right and his study as well as his practice of rosicrucianism all right because what i'm trying to explain to people is that jacques is a practitioner And he's a practitioner of this tradition. And he doesn't go to a temple or a Rosicrucian temple or anything like that. But he engages in the complete study of this realm and these beings. And he always has. Okay. And so what I'm saying is that there are, and then Grayman is a practitioner. Uh, Let's also talk about Dr. Whiteley. Yeah. Okay. So you. you let's go on to Dr.
0: Whiteley now, because it's a perfect time to do that
1: and she's an amazing person. So in my discussions now, knowing her for years of, um, what she does, she is, um, she's the head of the Mollard, um, aeronautics medicine at university college in London. So she's got uh, a pretty cool job where she's basically, uh, etched out a space psychology program, space psychologist and she yeah. helps train astronauts to go into extreme environments and survive in them. Um, and she's also working people always say this and on the side, I do this work in UAP research. They always call it on the side you know I do this as a hobby. <laughs> um, but what she's doing oh, is quite miraculous. That. I know you do. <laughs> so what she's doing is very interesting and miraculous and this is the reason why I opened a book with her because it's absolutely hopeful. And basically what she's doing now, she was brought up um, in a country that was communist. So she had no access to any religious tradition, but she found her way into a Gnosticism. And then for your viewers who don't, who you know, what is Gnosticism? Basically, it's the Greek word for knowledge, but it's a type of knowledge of direct knowledge of something sacred, the direct knowledge of God. It's like mysticism. That's what Gnosticism is. Um, The way I explain it to my students is you have a chocolate bar. How would you like to know about this chocolate bar? Do you want to read the ingredients? That's one form of knowledge of it. Or you could just eat it. That's the Gnostic form of knowledge. You're going to eat the chocolate bar, get the taste of it, know what it it tastes like. Okay. So that's Gnosticism. So what she's doing is she's developing uh, a way for children, basically, to be in contact with our earth because, you know, we're pretty out of contact with it. us in the, you know, us Westerners who have been, you know, raised to go to college. And, you know, we've been trained out of uh, 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 the plug-in to this, what uh, Tell Your Deshardon called this, the newosphere, this the Southern network of knowledge and um, beauty and the things that we are you know, we're earthlings, we're born to be, you know in touch with and so she's doing this through scientific uh technologies and and just by basically uh, hammering it out from her her just you know god-given brilliance and what she's doing is she's she's recreating um a I wouldn't call it a religion I would call it a way to plug into knowledge that has been lost
0: yes that's i have been a student of Gnosticism for many years uh, and uh, the reason is the same because there is a way to connect directly with the great presence I'm also in the Gajee Foundation for the same reason that you it's a, it teaches ways of waking up uh, to the real world and you have you must, not, uh, travel down this path that we're talking about, the UAP, uh, close encounter contact path without doing this. It's just, you, you can't because you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll get lost. Um, which gets me to another question. Uh, oh, before we go on folks, I, I, Whittley is going to be on this show and I'm hoping that Diana and Aya and I will all be together on the show. Uh, aya has done some wonderful interviews uh the, the UFO rabbit hole which is one of my favorites shows and uh, she's been on that and so just go to google and google i y a aya Whittley, w h i t e l e y we missed each other by one, one E at <laughs> <And, laughs> aya Whittley, and you'll see her 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 interview and her uh, uh, a place in, in in her in her school, and she's a terribly important player in all of this at a deep yeah. level because she's going to take it. To, she's going to take our lev, our ability to communicate with and and to have a supple, effective relationship with this presence to a new level. I'm mm-hmm. I mean, she's an absolute genius. I uh, a really the classic example of a genius of the first order absolutely yeah and and the first part of this book by the way is about Aya's work and it's absolutely about encounters fascinating one thing about diana you can count on she goes where the most important things are and finds out what's going on there it's just remarkable you have a real skill at that diana i'm very impressed thanks thank you okay so um free dreamlanders you have to leave us now we have to say goodbye to you and um but you've had enough and if you don't have had enough have not had enough well subscribe to the show and we can we can go on we're talking to dr diana walsh pasilka her website is dwpasilka.com her new book encounters explorations with ufos dreams angels ai and other dimensions And that's only scratching the surface. It's brilliant. (laughs) And do get it and absorb it. Because if we're going down this road successfully, and that does not mean playing footsie with the grays, please. uh, We're going to do it because of people like Diana and Aya and people, other people along who, who are taking us where we need to go. So. That's. Uh, I'll say goodbye to you, Free Dreamlanders, with, on that note. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrancova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.